welcome again to another episode of The Deep Dive in which we take a look at the weekly topic or passage, just take a deeper look at it, um, discuss a few theological principles or uh, functions of the text or just where it takes our head or hearts. And so um, this week, uh, my name is Brad. I'm joined again by Paul, um, mm-hmm. who is our intentional interim uh, lead pastor during this season. And uh, Paul, you preached this weekend. We just were continuing this series, The Stories Jesus Tells, looking at parables of Jesus, connecting them to um, vision, connecting them to strategy for our church. Who are we to be as a church? Uh, who is Where is God leading us uh, to go? How is God leading us to organize? What are the things that uh, we feel that we need to value and, and highlight and be all about? And this week, uh, we looked at Luke chapter 16, this story that Jesus tells of the rich man and Lazarus. Um, Very unusual parable, wasn't it? Yeah, it's uh, it's different. It's different than all the other ones, I feel it like. Really There's a, a uniqueness to this one. Several people actually came up to me and said, I haven't heard anything on that parable. So it's, it's, it, was a, it was a different one to choose. Yeah, people felt it. Um, sorry, my mouth was just really dry and I needed a, a drink. Okay. Thus the name of this deep dive. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So now we're, uh, we're, we're back into a, a regular rhythm with these conversations. Uh, we had you on uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, Dan will be on this next week. Had a, a delightful conversation with uh, Brett Toth and Kyle Bradley, two staff members uh, at Calvary, uh, last week that got a lot of just positive feedback. It was really encouraging to see uh, just how God uses different people and their stories uh, to impact others. But Today, we are in Luke chapter 16, and um, this week, you really kind of picked up where I had left off the week before. Um, right. what, what is the, um, was it the motivation? Was that the, mm-hmm. of, of transformation? Yeah this, yeah, this week, it really, you had the kind of the, the enemy mm-hmm. of the vision, mm-hmm. where we recognize that Jesus not just assumes, and I don't mean by assuming that he's hoping, but he assumes because of the confidence that he has. Mm-hmm. And expects transformation, and we also you also mentioned that uh, we also assume that there will be spiritual battles, there'll be mm-hmm. conflict, spiritual conflict, and then the parable that we did this week, of course, picks up on that to say so. What therefore is the motivation mm-hmm. for the vision, especially if you are facing mm-hmm. conflict and, and struggle with it? What is it that keeps us going with that? Which is, of course, that heart response, not only to grace, but a heart response of actually receptivity of belief, mm-hmm. where Jesus, of course, says to, in the story, mm-hmm. when the character in the story says, hey, send this resurrected guy back, and all my brothers will believe, mm-hmm. and Jesus goes, no, they won't, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it kind of leaves you yeah. hanging there with that story. Yeah. So in this story, um, we're not going to read it all right here. I do invite you, if you need to hit pause or you need to go just refresh yourself with the story that Jesus tells here. But you have the rich man and you have Lazarus. You have two guys. You have the rich man. I thought you did an excellent job, by the way, of kind of just putting meat on the bones of mm-hmm. the story. Because, again, these stories are, are small, they're short, mm-hmm. and yet um, the thing that Jesus is doing when he's telling these stories is he, he wants to incite our imagination. And so I thought, I just really appreciated how you told that story, but um, you have the rich man and you have Lazarus and the rich man has everything that he could ever dream. Lazarus um, doesn't. He was really down on his luck. uh, And very much opposites. They're very much opposites. And so uh, they both die. And um, the rich man, because he got everything he wanted in life, goes to Hades. And Mm -hmm. the, and Lazarus ends up, uh, 
at Abraham's side. And so then there's this, this interplay back and forth of, you know, the rich man just wants to, hey, go and tell my friends and my family, people I love, like, they need to avoid this place. Tell them what they need to do. And uh, at the end, Jesus asks this question or basically just says, like, hey, if, if a resurrected man came, they still wouldn't believe. Yeah. Yeah. Apart from if they're not going to believe in what the Bible says mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. So there's that receptivity of belief. Mm-hmm. If they don't believe that, he says, the resurrection by itself won't. And of mm. course, then we made the the point, though, for folks, and didn't have the time really to go into it, that he's not denying the centrality of the resurrection, because we all know, as Paul the Apostle Paul told us, if the resurrection is not true, then everything else falls apart. Mm-hmm. So Jesus wasn't going against that, but he was trying to go to the heart and motivation in that story. Right. And that's the thing, I think, again, coming back to these principles of reading parables well, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Jesus is not fully making claims here on um, hell, on heaven. Mm -hmm. He's he's telling a story to illustrate a particular particular point. And where he goes to is um, what you just said. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, so if they have not, you know, listened to Mm -hmm. what's been revealed in scripture, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead, which is an ironic thing for, for us as we read this, because we know that Luke is writing obviously after the resurrection. And so we, we know where the story's going. Um, And so just a very ironic thing for him to say. Um, And so in this conversation, I guess, from an apologetic standpoint, we, we, we threw out that word a few weeks ago. Apologetics doesn't mean I'm sorry. Uh, apologetics is, you, actually, how would you define apologetics? Uh, providing reason. So apologia, so Greek. Um, I didn't suddenly start speaking a different language, <laughs> but Greek. So it's, it's reason. It's apologetics. Are there reasons that we can be able to do this? Peter even talked about uh, show the reasons for your faith. And that's what we really mean by apologetics. Yeah, was that First Peter? First Peter three three fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the uh, be ready, right, to be able to give a defense, um, but also do so with gentleness and uh, is it humility? I think the. Well, that's in a different passage, yeah. but they all fit together because yeah. it's kind of like the Bible all goes together. But yeah, but, uh, yeah, that would definitely be the case. Being yeah, a, rather than trying to be in your face, or just be almost mean about mm-hmm. it or judgmental mm-hmm. about it, uh, apologetics is basically saying, look, can you humbly, gently, the term you mm-hmm. use there, can you do that in a way that even relationally mm-hmm. opens up conversations mm-hmm. to be able to be able to say, mm-hmm. hey, let's talk about that. Yeah, and I think that word relationally is really important. I, mm-hmm. I don't think we can do apologetics well without relationship. Very um, much so. I totally buy that. Because it's it's done in relationship. Uh, the, the conversations, the questions, the defense of, the providing reason. It, it There is an internal thing that happens when we study God's Word um, from an apologetic standpoint. We become more confident, right, in what we believe. Um, but it is, uh, in Covenant uh, Seminary, we always connected apologetics and outreach together. Mm-hmm. Like the class was apologetics and outreach because it's not... I am not an end to my own study. Like it's it's for the purpose of sharing, and it's a, for the purpose of um, you know even as Acts says, being a witness to what Jesus has done. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same as you. I always like to connect, even if you are providing something in apologetic, some reason. Can you also transition therefore to a presentation of the mm-hmm. gospel? Mm-hmm. And 
you always can. Mm-hmm. There's always a way to do it, according to time, mm-hmm. but you're always trying to do that relationally. So let's, uh, let's go there. Um, okay. Resurrection um, is kind of a, uh, I was actually listening to a sermon series a few years ago, Andy Stanley. Um, he's the, the pastor at North Point, mm-hmm. you know, community church down in Atlanta. And he had this whole, and, and there's different opinions on Andy Stanley. He's a phenomenal preacher. We also have to remember he is a pastor of a local church with a particular context, and he's preaching to a particular group of people for particular reasons. Um, but one of the things that he has been very, uh, very clear on at his church is he wanted to create a church that um, non-church people wanted to go to. Like, and, and so that comes out in his preaching too. And he was doing a series, um, I think it was called like, the Bible tells me so or something. But the, the idea was, um, listen, scripture is important and he's scripture is important. Um, but he really wanted to hammer home this idea that the Christian movement started because of a historical event. Um, the Christian movement started before the new Testament was written and compiled. Uh, the new, uh, the Christian movement started in response to these followers who had a, an experience with their resurrected, Savior, and so I do think from apologetics, that's a great place for us to start. Um, is is yeah. So I guess what are some defenses of or arguments for or um, yeah? Why is the resurrection such a good starting place? And by the way, you are correct. It used to be twenty, thirty years ago that we approached our apologetics more from a philosophical side, mm-hmm. and that just put us into some difficult waters. It's not that we couldn't get out of the waters, but it did create some dialogue struggle Mm -hmm. that Christians had. And so many people did begin to fear Mm -hmm. being able to talk about it because they felt like, I can't keep up with the philosophical Mm -hmm. discussion. And the reality is you don't have to fall back on Mm -hmm. philosophy. You fall back on history. Mm -hmm. So just like any historical approach that we would do, whether it's in a, a jury listening to evidence in a court mm-hmm. situation or uh, reading a book on historical biogra- biography to be able to determine that, you follow the historical mm. approach. And that just gets you out of all those waters, which is why I t- try to tell people all the time to say, you don't have to be embarrassed about mm-hmm. the resurrection. You don't have to be hesitant about that if you approach it. And so there is this minimal facts approach. I think you probably mm-hmm. st- even taught it in the apologetics mm-hmm. class. Uh, Habermas, uh, Lacona, so Mike Lacona is probably my, I don't know Habermas, but I know Lacona. And Mike has done a phenomenal part. He, his, his dissertation on the historical approach to the Gospels and to the resurrection in mm-hmm. particular may be one of the best dissertations out there written mm-hmm. on that topic. And so those guys will tell you, just take certain basic facts and just stay with those. Because both Christian and non-Christian scholars alike who are approaching the study and approaching the question from a historical side and perspective, both of them alike pretty much recognize that these are facts that we accept. You know, there's about, since 1975, there's been about two-thirds to three-fourths of all of the resources that at least are out there in writing uh, both Christian and non-Christian, even atheistic skeptics. And three-fourths of, of those folks all admit that, you know what, there is solid evidence for the empty tomb. Mm-hmm. 
And once there's solid evidence for the empty tomb, now we're on pretty good standing ground mm-hmm. for us. And so there's just a number of uh, different facts. Uh, probably you and I could both list them real quick. You know, one of them, of course, is you've got the fact that uh, there is no question about whether Jesus existed and whether Jesus died mm-hmm. on the cross anymore. There used to be. That mm-hmm. used to be. In fact, actually, if you if you go to the Quran, there's some questions. If you listen on the Internet, some of the uh, skeptics on the Internet that are into conspiracy. Uh, oh, you, you can know, find anything you, you want You can find any, anything you want. And they're out there. But the reality is that scholars, again, both Christian and non-Christians alike, accept that Jesus really did exist and he really did die on the cross. So that's where you start with. You've got even non, non-biblical stuff. So some of those um, sources, I mean, obviously the, the Romans kept records mm-hmm. of Tacitus, who, they, yeah. who they killed. Yeah, yeah. You um, got Josephus. You have Josephus who you know, mentions that mm-hmm. you know, there was yeah. this Jewish teacher, Jesus, yeah. that the Romans. You've got Lucian the, from Greek. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got Jewish, Roman, and Greek guys that are doing all that. They're all historians, with one another. And they're all agreeing with each other. In fact, they're agreeing with the Bible mm-hmm. that Jesus existed and mm-hmm. – died on the cross. So that's fact one. So he was alive and then he died. Mm-hmm. You've then got the second historical fact that after the death of Jesus, there was this large number of followers, a large number of people who testified themselves to say, I am an eyewitness mm-hmm. of that. And they believed both sincerely, strongly, even to the point of being willing to die for it, which is an amazing piece. And, and many did. And many did, yeah. And in fact, actually, one of the arguments on the historical approach actually is that for these folks who were willing to die for what their belief was, is that uh, you don't you don't lie in order to put yourself into a more poor position in your argument. Mm-hmm. If somebody's going to lie, they're doing it to put themselves into a better position. There should in their be an argument. advantage. There's there an, should ad- be an personal benefit, lie. personal mm-hmm. advantage. And so the fact that they were willing to die for something that actually put their life on risk meant, of course, that that's actually taken as a strong historical approach. Even in, the, even in legal cases today in a courtroom, that would be taken that. So you've got this large group that are basically saying, we strongly believe that, yes, Jesus lived, then he died, but he was also seen again alive. You've got the Apostle Paul telling his testimony. You've, you've got this larger group that saw Jesus, that were told saw Jesus. You've got the oral traditions and oral creeds that very quickly came about. Uh, the value of that is it means that there was people who were saying, yes, I affirm what I'm, mm-hmm. what I'm saying is true. Mm-hmm. And no one in their culture ever disproved mm-hmm. those claims. And even though it was a culture that may have wanted to, mm-hmm. no one was ever able to disprove mm-hmm. those claims. You've then got written sources. Obviously, you have the four writers of the Gospels that are independent, which again, in even in a courtroom today, uh, that is a strong historical evidence when you have independent sources who are agreeing on the same well, thing. Well, and that's, uh, again, I, I, I did an apologetics class this past uh, fall, and that was one of the, um, we, were, we were talking about just the apologetics of the Bible, you know, as, cool. as a whole. And, and in doing so, I, we, we talked about how uh, the Bible, you know, we have it as a single book. And so we think it's a single source that goes from start to end. And yet it's actually a collection of mm-hmm. books that were compiled by different human authors. One of the most compelling cases for scripture is that you have all these different authors and yet they tell such a concise and consistent story. But 
yeah, that's a great point. Like you have the four gospel writers. Now, two of them weren't weren't um, disciples of Jesus, and yet you have others. In terms of following with him for the three and a half years. Yeah, and, yeah. and then like the, yeah, they weren't among the 12. Yeah. Um, but they do draw on the eyewitness testimony of Peter and of Paul, uh, who were very, very close, obviously. Paul wasn't one of the 12 who walked with him for, you know, the three and a half years, but he, he did have that personal experience at, at um, you know, on his way to Damascus, where the risen Jesus Which is interesting him. why in the book of fact, in Acts, you actually have his testimony three times. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the only sermon that is actually repeated three times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it, and I think there's a reason for that, because mm-hmm. it's showing his, he's a prime, what's called a primary evidence mm-hmm. of that. You've then got folks even outside of the, of the scriptures that are affirming to all of that. You've got Polycarp, who was a, a disciple of mm-hmm. John. Mm-hmm. You probably talked about Clement, mm-hmm. I guess, in your apologetics mm-hmm. class, you know, who was a disciple of Peter. And uh, in fact, the beauty of Clement is he was affirming that even before the canon was ever put together, long mm-hmm. before the canon was put together. In fact, long before a lot of uh, the, mm-hmm. the story of Acts mm-hmm. was finished. Mm-hmm. So Polycarp and Clement were very familiar with with these folks and with other disciples. So you have this large group of followers who are eyewitnesses and therefore, in that sense, again, primary witnesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a third fact in this minimal facts approach, which is that everybody goes to Paul almost more than anyone. Mm -hmm. The reason is because Paul was an enemy. Mm -hmm. So it says he's not biased. So again... Mm -hmm. When you approach history, you don't want bias in your testimony. Yeah, Paul actually had a lot to lose. Very much so. By becoming a By Christian. By becoming a Christian. Yeah. And in fact, he would. there's no way that he would. anybody could say, well, he was kind of forced into it, not by Paul's personality. When you, if you read Acts, Paul's personality, he was a go-getter. He was not going to say something mm-hmm. different just because he was, somebody wanted him to. But also because... He, since he was an enemy, he's not expecting it. He's not looking for it. He's not susceptible to it. Mm-hmm. And then here he was being an eyewitness of, of Christ. Likewise, James is, uh, is used uh, to be able to say historically, James was, because uh, as a half-brother, he was skeptical. We know he did not believe in Jesus until after Jesus so rose. After his resurrection. Yeah. So it actually had to be the appearance of Christ to James, and if anybody is going to be able to look at somebody who is standing in front of him claiming to be his his brother, mm-hmm. it's going to be a, a, a brother. Yeah, He's going to go, no. And so the beauty of it is he's like, look, he, he did not appear to us as if he's all beat up, as if somehow he really didn't die survived and survived. And, and, yeah. he's, he's basically saying, here's Jesus, fully healthy. And in good sound mind, so it's there's no there's no PTSD mm-hmm. type of thing that mm-hmm. would have occurred, and so James is actually a super strong in my mind. I think James is as strong of an argument as the Apostle Paul is mm-hmm. for all of that, and then you end up by saying you put those things together, and again you have this huge majority of scholars, both Christian. I keep repeating it because it's important. Christian and not Christian. I find it's really important when I'm talking to somebody who's not a Christian to affirm that I'm not just. I'm not just falling back on 
biased scholars, Christian scholars. Well, then a, you know, you're accused of circular reasoning. Where you are, like, you really are. Oh, you're using the Bible to yeah. prove the Bible. Yeah. So I mean, there's even there's this non-Christian guy, uh, William Ward, in Oxford, who basically says. If any scholar is going to be an honest historical scholar and they really look at the story, if they don't accept the empty tomb, it's because of some other reason than history and science. It's got to be from some other personal reason. And that's when you get into guys like Bart Ehrman and some of these other folks that do try to argue you out of it, but it makes no sense with what and they're their, saying. And their starting point is going to be somewhere else. You know, They're going to say, mm-hmm. hey, we can't we – can't, you know, rely on anything that's in the New Testament because it's not the original. And so it could be changed. There's a telephone game. I and mean, there's all these different places. They it's all these things that they try to go to. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll do the, Ehrman did the probability thing. Mm-hmm. You know, he said basically, hey, if you're a good historical scholar, you will only accept the highest, most mm-hmm. probable cause. Mm-hmm. And if it's something is the least, most probable cause, if it's the less, then you need to rule it out. Well, that's a pretty circular argument. So it basically says Jesus was alive, he's dead, then he's alive again, but don't look at that part. Is the probability for that true? Yeah. And of course, the answer for that is, you know, you're misunderstanding probabilities. Because if you have an outside cause and an outside source of that, you have the ability to say it's 100% probability, Mm -hmm. not 0% probability. So uh, Lacona gave an illustration that I, that I love, and uh, he used the illustration. He said, let's say uh, you got six billion people on Earth. How many of them can actually walk on water? Well, zero. So it's a very – so the probability of Jesus, one out of six billion walking on water, would be pretty negligible with one exception, that if you understand probabilities correctly – you're going to say, let's pretend that, say, I've got my son, and my son is going to wear a swimming pool, my son's going to walk across, across the top of the water. Uh-huh. Everybody goes, oh, no, no way, your son's going to sink. He said, no, I'll show you. Son gets in. Well, then Mike said, if I hold up my son by his arms along the side of the pool, he is now walking across the top of the water. Uh-huh. And therefore, when you bring in this external cause, this external source, that actually is empowering that by some type of action. Now it's 100% probable that his son will walk across the water, and therefore it's 100% probable that Jesus will rise from the dead because there is this external mm-hmm. source, the Father, mm-hmm. who, of course, is there with the Son. And uh, you, you get into that with Ehrman and all these guys, and there's just not a response. It ultimately comes down from people that just want to force, 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 to say that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, is it's, it comes down to their personal volitional choice. They just don't want to believe it. And so I just try to leave and say, well, then you got to tell me what you do with the facts that Jesus is alive, was alive, Jesus was dead, and Jesus was alive mm-hmm. again. You have to tell me what you're going to do with that. Yeah, that's really good, Paul. Um, probably don't have time to fully go into it. There are other theories, Mm -hmm. right, on, okay, well, maybe if he didn't actually die, Mm -hmm. that, oh, well, what about the, uh, did the disciples, you know, steal the body? Did, or, well, he would have died there. Did they steal the body? Did, um, you know, did they overcome the, (laughs) there's just so many problems Mm -hmm. you have to get past, um, past there. So, 
And I find, by the way, the simple way to do that is that one apologetics question is, is it true? I mean, uh-huh. that's, that's true for all apologetics. You know? uh-huh. Is it true? So whatever they say. So if it's, they say, like, let's say the, the disciples stole the body. Is that true? Uh-huh. Well, historically, there was never any claim that anybody found uh-huh. the body. And historically, you've got James... The brother again, which is why I think that's such a powerful uh-huh. argument. You have the the, the uh-huh. half brother saying, "Yeah, he this was Jesus." Yeah. So it, it, you go, okay, it's not true, and so all the psychological parts and stuff. You just keep falling back. I would encourage folks, just all of you, when you're in a apologetics conversation, just remember the question: Is it true? Is it true? Is it true? It's a great question. Well, at the end of this parable. Again, one of our, our principles here for reading parables well is what's the, what's the one main thought? What's the one main idea that Jesus is responding to or trying to, uh, trying to claim? And, and here at the end, I mean, again, I'm going to repeat it. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Mm-hmm. So for us as the, the reader of this parable after the original um, moment of the parable, uh, we we believe that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. And so the question that it should cause, you know, me, do, do I believe that this is true, right? Do I believe as I, you know, read the Bible, read Moses, read the prophets, um, my interactions with others, like, do I believe this is true? And if it is true, then what does it change in my life? For me, the very convicting part, I'm just going to give you a personal answer. Yeah. So for me, the very convicting part is... Do I believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Absolutely, 100% confidence. I still find in my life, though, Brad, that there are times when I'm not following Christ in a way that he describes as the healthiest uh, lifestyle and the healthiest way to live according to his own example, but according to the way God Uh designed life, so holiness and all that. And I find that there's these times when I'm, I'm doubting or there's times when I just choose not to, mm. and I realize that it's not because of, of the mental, intellectual, historical mm-hmm. parts of my, of my faith. It's, the, it's that very issue of my heart, that my heart is so caught up with self-absorption, or I'm justifying myself or protecting myself, uh, that if we, if we, we believe in that, mm-hmm. we're going to want to do that, and if we don't do that. So one quick illustration, and folks, you're not going to know the details of it, and I'm not going to go into the details, but Brad and I do know yesterday. Uh, we had something where not knowing something, I still hurt somebody mm. in something that I said and because uh, it just it left them out mm-hmm. of something. And once I found out about it, I wanted to rush, Ephesians 5, rush towards that. Mm-hmm. Well, my heart can be so self-protective that if I'm not careful, mm. even though I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, I might not rush to do that. Mm-hmm. But the problem is not my belief in a resurrected Lord, it's, mm. it's my heart. Mm. And so, therefore, I, I want to have a heart that is receptive in my belief of how I am to live to mm-hmm. that, and therefore rush to, in that case, Ephesians 5, yeah. and, and to not let the sun go down without apologizing and confessing, and then have that good, hopefully that good relationship, which it came out well. So um, there's just all kinds of things like that that I find that's the most convicting part of yeah. this parable for all, for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Is living out life with an integrity that way. Yeah. 
is my heart in integrity with my belief of a resurrected Lord. And uh, I think if we're honest, we're going to go, it's a lot of times that we're not. Yeah, and I think that's why, just to kind of come full circle, Paul rests everything on the resurrection. That's exactly you know, right. And, and, uh, which is, exactly is right. so fascinating because we want to we lift Paul up as this, um, you know, the champion of justification by faith. And yet that's true, but it's not just the cross, it's the resurrection as well. Well, Paul, thank you so much uh, for this conversation. It's been uh, delightful. Um, again, would in- invite you if you have any questions or follow up, please, you know, you can indicate that in the chat if you're watching this on YouTube uh, or send us an email at podcast at calvary.church. You can give us ideas for future podcasts. You can give us feedback. Um, we want to be a community that is uh, keeping our Bible open, that's curious about scripture because Jesus matters most. We will catch you again next week, next time on The Deep Dive. Thanks for listening to The Deep Dive, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.